0: the B2B space is now becoming much more like the B2C space in the sense of you're seeing more trial offers, lower price points, people validating what their markets are. There's also a huge growth in the number of providers and specialization.
1: The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast.
2: Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the B2B MX Podcast. I'm Alicia. And I'm Claudia. And we're so happy to be back with you all after taking a few weeks off from the pod, but still working hard on creating some great content for you all, building up the agenda and content for our virtual B2B sales and marketing exchange virtual event. That's coming soon, and we'll have some more speakers from that event coming this season. But we did want to kick things off with an all-around pro on marketing strategy and execution. We have Ben Shapiro, who's the host of the MarTech podcast, joining us. And he also has a really extensive background as a B2B brand development and marketing strategy consultant. So we get deep into some of the trends and realities that are shaking B2B itself, but What I think is most interesting about Ben's experience is that he started out largely in B2C. So we take some of his lessons and experiences from that world and talk about how it applies to B2B. And Claude, I don't know about you, but I found it to be fascinating.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. And especially because a lot of conversations that I'm having all year long and even in the past, just how B2B marketing is really kind of creeping up on B2C and that whole era is kind of like blending together these days because at the end of the day, whether you're a B2C company or a B2B company, you're still engaging with actual humans, right? It's not business to business. It's human to human. And Ben really touched on that a lot. And I really enjoyed the conversation because that tie-in is just really important.
2: Absolutely. And I liked how he covered not just the high-level strategy, like how to refine your messaging and your positioning, kind of speaking through that human lens, but also applying it at the tactical level, whether you're doing podcasts like he is and we are or doing social media. There are different ways to refine it and apply it, and I'm really glad that he got a little nitty-gritty there. So Whether you're looking for ways to take a closer look at your brand positioning and your brand messaging, or if you just want to find ways to spice up your marketing mix and your tactics, I think Ben has a lot of great takeaways for you. Ben, thanks so much for taking the time. Good to have you on the show.
0: Excited to be here. Thanks for having me as your guest.
2: So let's start from the beginning. Your business has evolved pretty significantly. We were talking about this before we started recording. Over time, you you largely started focusing on brand development and growth marketing, but now you've kind of evolved into content production and actual media creation. Why don't we just kind of start from the groundwork, a little bit about yourself, and most of all, how your business and your work has gotten to the point that it has today?
0: Yeah, I think the kind of key milestones in my career, I started off my technology career working at eBay in business development. And so I was managing $10 million plus relationships between eBay and some of their biggest partnerships like Yahoo, Google, Facebook, Hewlett Packard at the time. And I always wanted to do what the rest of the you know, I'm using air quotes here that you can't see, but cool kids were doing and go work at one of the like neat little startups. You know, I wanted a ping pong table in the office instead of the big corporate job. And I was having a really hard time getting a marketing job at a startup because all of my technology experience was working at the enterprise level. So I left eBay and started my own startup to kind of get that hands-dirty, ground-up experience, and that was not specifically as a marketer, but as a general manager. And my startup kind of was middling, didn't make a ton of money. My girlfriend at the time said she was interested in taking a promotion to fiancé, but I needed to go get a steady paycheck to be able to pay for the ring. And so I went and finally was able to get my early-stage startup job, and I ran the marketing department for a couple of VC-backed startups and kind of got burned out. I just didn't really feel like the payoff, and these were B2C businesses, when you're not the founder, you get all this pressure to outperform everyone's expectations, and the metaphor is build an airplane while flying it, and the value and the time trade-offs just weren't there for me, and so I took a step away. All of my career experience had been in B2C at that time, and I said I was going to take on some short-term projects to just figure out what I want to do with my career, And oddly enough, I launched my personal website to try to be an online resume. And I just ended up networking my way into a bunch of B2B brand development and marketing strategy consulting projects. And, you know, one project led to the next, led to the next. And the next thing you know, it was like three years later and I had a nice portfolio of helping B2B brands try to figure out who they are, who their customers are, and, you know, how they can managed to live in the space in between what their desires were and what the customers actually wanted. So it was a roundabout way of getting into the B2B space. And you know, since I've run my consulting business, I've actually morphed my career one more time now into really running more media properties than doing consulting. I'm sure we'll talk about that later in the podcast, but that's really kind of the the background for me is you know, started with a B2C background and then started taking on consulting projects in the B2B space.
2: Yeah, That's fascinating. And, it, and it's interesting because in a lot of the conversations that we have, we always like to call out what makes B2B unique, right? Whether it's added complexity, it's a more informed buyer, the decision-making processes may be longer, a bit more complex, more stakeholders. But we're hearing more and more, especially from a strategic standpoint, right? And and if we're messaging and trying to connect with our audience, that a lot of the principles of B2C kind of apply, right? Especially now. And I think this really aligns nicely with The tagline on your website, you know, as I was doing research, it kind of hit me in the face. It's not personal. It's not business. It's business with personality. And I think that really reaffirms nicely some of the trends that we're seeing in the B2B landscape, that people are looking for deeper connections with brands. They're looking for more personal language, talking to a brand versus the brand talking over them or down to them. So I want to ask you, because obviously you're the one using this tagline, what, why do you think this nuance, the it's business with personality statement is so important, especially for B2B brands to know and apply?
0: You know, it's funny that you bring that line of copy up, because when I wrote that, it was three days after leaving my last B2C startup. And to use a little bit of an inappropriate term, I was just kind of butthurt about the experience. And I was trying to get back to my roots as a career professional and articulate the things that I did the best. And for me, understanding the tone and understanding the people that you're trying to talk to and communicate in a way that resonates with them was was really what I thought my core skill set was. And oddly enough, I mentioned that most of my experience was B2C focused prior to being a consultant. And then once I launched my consulting practice, I got a lot more interest in the B2B space from the B2B space. And I never really quite understood why. But I do think that, you know, now having, let's say, five years of experience as a B2B consultant, the things that have become clear to me is that there's been a fundamental shift in how the B2B space is being marketed. You know, what I think of the traditional old B2C space, I think of billboards and events and large cocktail parties and a lot of like kind of cheesy sales guys. And I think that the B2B space is now becoming much more like the B2C space in the sense of you're seeing more, Trial offers, lower price points, people validating what their markets are. There's also a huge growth in the number of providers and specialization. And so you're seeing lower price points in B2B, which means that they are mostly point solutions, or at least there's a higher volume of point solutions. And with those more specific businesses, you need to be more upfront and clear about how you're describing your business and about the solutions and the problems that you're solving for a very specific type of customer. So I think the landscape has changed a little bit to be more like the B2C model, which is why being able to clearly articulate your point, being able to understand who your customer is, being able to find where they're looking for your brand, and being able to have a conversation with them in a way that feels authentic is much more important because it's not these just B2B titans doing their sumo wrestling in the middle of the ring for the entire industry. It's hundreds of brands that are fighting for consumers' minds.
1: And I love that, especially because we've actually, on the demand gen report side, we've been hearing that B2B is quickly starting to go to that B2C route as well. And we've also been hearing it's not B2B, business to business. It's really, it's human to human interaction. At the end of the day, you're still marketing and selling to humans. So based on your experience and past work, what makes embracing this distinction so challenging for executives?
0: You know, I think that's muscle memory for the most part. Executives tend to have a lot of experience and they probably call on previous experience where they're looking at the sales forces of the world or the Adobe's of the world. And they're thinking of what their successful marketing strategies have been. And I just think that the world is a little different now. The competition is different. So I think what goes into this shift is we now have the ability to be more personalized. And whether the kind of classic, and I'm stereotyping here, old gray hat exec understands that having person's name at company name sending the email or sending the communication is twice as effective as mail at salesforce.com. I don't know if that message has quite got across, but personalization is really what's driving a lot of the relationships in the B2B space.
1: And given the context of the world that we're living in now, do you think we've reached a critical fork in the road where marketers and brand executives really just need to be more human?
0: <laughs> it's funny that whenever we talk about like what's happening in the world right now, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is we're all locked at home with our kids screaming in the background while we're trying to act like business professionals. And you know whether you got your sweatpants on or not, like people are just understanding that there is a real person with real life problems trying to get their jobs done now more than ever. And so I do think that in the B 2 B space the buyers are more understanding of the people that they're working with. And I do think that is helping us have a different perspective, build more relationships. And it's funny that the isolation is causing us to think about the person on the other end of the line a little bit more than we ever have before. So, you know, going back to your question, I do think that buyers are a little bit more sensitive to the relationships that they're building. I think that Everybody in general has to be a little bit more accommodating and understanding about the context with which we're all working. And life is just a little less sterile than it used to be. And I think that's going to get into the tone of B2B businesses. I think of B2B language as buzzwords and things that sound really fancy and are super impressive but really hard to understand. I don't think we have the time for that crap anymore. I think it's about quickly understanding who you are, understanding who you're going to be working with and actually building relationships is going to be the key driver as opposed to the biggest sounding, most sophisticated language.
2: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I know just personally, just having conversations with my family in, in a day to day, right? Like we do like weekly Zoom meetings and it's like, oh, well, we only used to see each other Every few months, say, or like once a quarter, if we're looking at it in business terms. But now we're actually making an effort to have these connections because we feel (laughs) so isolated in our everyday. And I think. A lot of that is also seen, you know, in our professional lives, we're seeing more virtual hangouts, more roundtables. We're trying to do more of those community-driven experiences to kind of bring people together virtually. So I think from like an actual, what are we doing in our day-to-day to to enable those connections is is super important. And this is really driving, I think, everything from like the high-level messaging strategy all the way down through those different channels and such, but I'd love your take. I mean, obviously COVID is is that 800 pound gorilla in the room, so to speak, but are there any other dynamics that may be impacting B2B? And I guess to add another layer onto that, since you're getting more and more entrenched in media and and content creation, I mean, what what channels do you think have been most helpful or valuable as we kind of figure out the best way to navigate through our day-to-day professionally?
0: Yeah, just in general, I think what I'd like to do is walk you through some of the practices that I use helping B2B companies thinking about their brand development. And to me, this is the marketing foundation that sets all of your tone, communication strategies, your outreach channels, and all the operational stuff. And it comes down to fundamentally understanding The skills and resources that you have within the organization. Whenever I have a B2B client, the first thing I'm doing is sitting down with the internal stakeholders and talking to them about some really foundational stuff. And it might seem almost elementary. What does your company do? What are your products? Who are your products for? Why do your customers need these products? What are the things that you think you know about the customers? And where do you think they want to understand? Where do you think they want to consume content around your brand? When you talk to your internal stakeholders, and this doesn't have to be, you know, go hire a consultant for 25 grand, it can just be something that you do internally. When you sit down and poll your stakeholders, you'll find that there's a lot of misalignment within the foundation and the fundamental way that you think about and communicate the core value of your brand. And so what I do as a marketing consultant for B2B companies is talk to all the internal stakeholders and basically you get a 10 circle Venn diagram. My job is to say, okay, here's the thing that everybody agrees on or here's the, you know, the sort of foundation of what you're trying to get at. This is really how you should be thinking about who you are, about what your products are and about who you're trying to reach. And then on the flip side, you go talk to your prospects and your customers and you do the same sort of qualitative interviews and you ask them, why do you need products in this category? Who are the main stakeholders? What are the things that you need? What problems does this solve for you? Where do you look for information to learn about these products? You know, what are the pain points? And basically then you take this 10-part Venn diagram on the internal stakeholder side and you distill it down to one sort of core segment and when you have that core understanding of who you are you map that against what your customers are saying and when there's an overlap between okay our customers say they want a product that does a b and c and they're looking for it in marketing channels one two and three to solve pain points x y and z that's what needs to be articulated you know in terms of Who your brand is, that's where you need to figure out your marketing channels, and then you can go and attack. So fundamentally, you need to understand the overlap between who you are as an organization and who your customers are. And out of that understanding, it'll be a lot clearer what marketing channels come out of that.
2: Got it, Ben. Yeah, that, that, that's great and, and fascinating. And I think those fundamentals of brand messaging are super important. That's what guides us every day, you know, from a content creation perspective. But let's go a layer deeper, getting into the actual tactics. So, you know, you, you live and breathe this every day. You have your own podcast. You're participating in podcasts like this one and creating other forms of content. So how do those foundational components, right, like that brand story built upon product and buyer insight all that great stuff that you just shared how does that parlay into the actual tactics and any tips as far as you know what brands can do to figure out what tactics maybe make up the right mix for them
0: yeah you know for for me i think there's a couple different things brands need to think about first and foremost there's your just your list building exercises and i think that content is the most efficient way to start building a community, having people understand what your brand is about, position yourself to be an expert. And it's the most cost-effective way to at scale, get in front of your prospective audience. Now building your content assets is not like a performance marketing channel where you put a dollar in and hopefully get $2 out. You're going to put a dollar in, in your first month and you're going to get 10 cents out. But then as you continue to scale your content efforts, you're going to go from 10 cents out to 15 to 20 to 25. And eventually, three to six months later, if you're consistent with your content development, if you're in the right channels, if you're syndicating your content in an appropriate fashion, you can really scale to a meaningful audience like what we did with my business and the MarTech podcast. It took us a year to get to 10,000 downloads. But now we have this core asset and we understand who our audience are, and we have this recurring channel, which we can go and contact them and feed our, for us, our sponsor messages, but all of our, you know, our sales calls into our content. That's, to me, the most effective long-term way to think about lead generation. Sure, performance marketing, it's like the difference between eating candy and eating your broccoli. You're going to get a quick burst of energy from doing performance marketing. You're going to have long-lasting muscle if you're correctly doing your content marketing. Now, a level beyond that is making sure that you have the ability to continually to reach out to your prospects on a one-to-one personalized basis. And that's where you're getting into not just your classic drip campaigns, but really understanding who the consumer is, what their needs are, and being able to reach out to them in a way that feels personalized, not just your newsletters, but actually having email campaigns where you're starting to show that you have an understanding of who the customer is and what they're trying to accomplish and feeding them the right content at the right time to drive them not just into, but through your sales funnel. So to me, you know, the biggest trends that I see, A, there are no events right now. So getting in front of your consumers is content, you know, it's partnerships, Maybe you can piggyback on somebody else's webinars, but really it's digital marketing that is going to help you build your list right now. Eventually we will get back into direct sales and events, but that's that's on hold for now. And then once you have someone in your list, it's following up with them, with the right content, getting them educated, and looking for your buying signals to understand when they are actually in market to reach out in person and try to get them across the finish line.
1: Yeah, that's great. Let's say we're using this quote unquote COVID era as an opportunity for marketers or B2B organizations in general to take a reset, right? What advice would you give those listening who are really trying to determine whether they even need to rethink or reset their positioning and how can they really tell that they might need to make a change?
0: Stop trying to sound so effing fancy. <laughs> That's my love biggest... It. Yeah, that's my biggest problem with most B2B brands. I have a sponsor of the MarTech podcast who I've done three or four ad reads for them. And every time I do the ad read and describe what their business is, they're like, it just doesn't sound great. How about you use more flowery language? And I edited the ad because they're paying me to read what they want and it's their ad space. But I don't understand what their company does when I read their ads. Like that is a big problem. And as their consultant, my advice has always been you need to simplify what you're doing so it's easy to understand what your brand is about, what you're selling, why somebody should work with you. And if you can't do that, all the flowery language in the world, all the big buzzwords, all the fancy new terms, no matter how many times you say AI and machine learning, it doesn't help your sales because you have a fundamental problem of either people don't want your service or you're not differentiated. And if you can't clearly and simply explain what your business does, it's not the language that's the problem. It's the product that's the problem. And you got to go back to the drawing board a little bit and think about differentiation and about how you solve a discrete need for your customers, not just flower up the language and hope you can sound more sophisticated than the next guy.
2: Okay, and I do want to jump in here before we move forward because I 100% agree, but looking at this through the lens of like maybe some of our listeners that are part of a bigger team, maybe have a CMO or a VP that they're reporting into folks don't always see eye to eye on things, right? Or they love their flowery language or have their way of describing things within the company. And maybe it's worked for them and that's fine. Or maybe it hasn't, but they don't want to change. So how can the marketers listening right now kind of tackle that and best make the case for that stop being so fancy (laughs) mantra?
0: For what it's worth, I said stop being so effing fancy because. Okay,
2: I'll be more specific next time. (laughs) Well, the reason why I I, I
0: bring it up is look, you got to talk to people like they're people. And that's what's really resonating with the B2B brands, not necessarily saying effing, but like it sticks out when you talk like a human and when you are communicating in a normal fashion. And if your CMO is saying, hey, we need to sound like we are a classically You're trained B2B business and we're the enterprise and we're the most sophisticated. Okay, fine. You got an old gray hair for a boss? Here's the playbook. You have to explain what your sophisticated language means and now get that content to all the consumers so when they hear the flowery language that is not necessarily clear, you've come up with supplemental content that describes what you mean and why it's important. To me, that just creates a secondary marketing problem of my goal as a marketer is to get you to understand what my business is, why it solves your problem, and why it's differentiated and the right fit for you. And if I can't describe to you what it is fundamentally without it being confusing, now I have another problem, right? I'm adding a fifth step onto that set of four goals that I was trying to accomplish. And so now it's what my product is, how you should understand Why we're describing our product, why you need it, why it's different, and why it solves your problems.
1: Very interesting. How about let's talk channels and tactics. What are you kind of seeing as the most exciting, let's say?
0: So I'm a little biased here because my career and my business has changed over the last two years from being a business development consultant, being a marketing strategy consultant, into a media operator. And I started the MarTech podcast and the Voices of Search podcast roughly two years ago, and they were meant to be a lead generation tool for my consulting practice, which was a B2B practice. And what ended up happening with my business was the MarTech podcast audience specifically grew way faster than I ever expected. It was absolutely an experiment gone wrong where all of a sudden our audience had grown from, you know, what we thought was going to be a couple hundred people listening to the podcast and maybe I would get a couple leads out of it and it was going to be a nice little marketing vehicle to me to we're going to have 75,000 downloads this month and tens of thousands of listeners listening to hours of content every month. And so to me, I have spent the last two years of my career... We had this little experiment. It started going well. We invested more into it, and it became more valuable than the consulting practice I was running. So I have then shifted the business to be a media business instead of a consultancy. But the moral of the story here for the B2B listeners is that I am an avid believer in the value of content first and foremost. And when you're picking a content channel, you need to do what your consumers want. And you need to do what you have the in-house talent for. But I've seen incredible growth and adoption for B2B brands in the podcast space, not only for my content for the MarTech podcast and the Voices of Search podcast, but also for some of the other content that I've helped create for my consulting practice clients. Awesome.
1: Good stuff. Since brand and marketing positioning really trickled down into essentially everything B2B professionals do, can we go into like a quick rapid fire of best practices for the different kind of levels? So messaging, marketing strategy, or the channel mix, we could start with messaging. So take it away.
0: So messaging, the first thing that I think about is you need to understand who your most valuable customers are and what their pain points are the qualitative interviews you're going to do, you can send surveys out as much as you want. And, you know, it depends what level of scale and what type of business you're running. But the easiest way to create effective messaging is to steal it from your customers. I would go out and interview 10 customers and ask them, how do you describe this product or service? How do you describe the problem that you are hoping it solves? What is the solution that you want? Listen to those 10 answers, synthesize them into one consolidated description of products, services, whatever they're saying, and then you have your marketing messaging, right? You're actually just taking it from the words of the consumers. 10 interviews that should get you where you need to be to just at least directly have an understanding of how your consumers are thinking about the problem. And your job as a marketer is essentially to read back what they are saying their problems are and what the solutions they want with the caveat that your products actually have to be able to deliver on what you're saying. Great.
2: And then to close out, Ben, any tips or best practices around like actually executing upon that, right? So once you get that buyer insight, how can we actually turn that into a storyline that goes across all channels? So you talked a little bit about your podcast experience. I'm sure a lot of people are talking about social media right now as a way to kind of bridge those connections. So any final tactical best practices from that standpoint?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that each channel is a little different. On the podcast channel where I've focused most of my efforts for the last couple of years, Consistency, understanding the format of content, you know, our content is relatively short form, 15 to 20 minutes per day. You're going to have to optimize each individual channel for how your consumers want to consume content there. On Twitter, right, you have to understand that you're working with short-form, real-time content, right? If you're on LinkedIn, it's got to be personal. So the executives in your brands need to be the one that are talking about the company. You're going to get employee advocacy, right? Understand how these channels and the algorithms that run them are designed to be able to effectively use them. You cannot just take a peanut butter approach across all channels and say, we're going to talk about our brand this way and spread the same message across all of them. The delivery mechanism is going to be different on a per channel basis. So you really have to come up with some understanding and mastery of each individual channel, which maybe the advice here is be very specific about what channels you're going to tackle and really invest in mastering them for our brand. It is podcast content Secondary is social media. And in social media, we're looking at one channel at a time. We're cultivating our LinkedIn following. And eventually, when we feel like we've mastered LinkedIn, then maybe we'll move on to Twitter or Facebook or whatever we think is the next appropriate channel. But I would not take the approach of we need to be everywhere all of the time. I would prioritize, I would master a channel, make sure that you have your Content strategy figured out and start seeing growth in those channels, and then start investing in cultivating new channels. The last thing is, it takes time. It took us a year to go from zero to 10,000 downloads for the Martech podcast, right? That's to go from nothing to meaningful. Each one of these channels does not happen overnight. You do not create a blog post and it does not get a million subscribers or email signups or, or even viewers right away. You need to consistently cultivate the channel, work over time, understand what channels your consumers want, and go live and thrive in those environments.
2: So I have to ask, do you think we'll be seeing B2B brands flock to TikTok anytime soon or no, not so much?
0: I don't think it's this year. I think that the audience on TikTok still skews a little younger. I think that there are going to be B2B brands that experiment and start Laying the foundation so as that audience matures, it will become a larger platform. There's a whole bunch of problems thinking about marketing on TikTok right now from the geopolitical perspective. If TikTok becomes a true Facebook competitor in five to 10 years, then all of a sudden it's really B2B relevant. Like you're seeing lots of brands flocking to Facebook and Instagram because Their consumers are there, and it's a great content distribution channel. I don't necessarily think that we're there yet with TikTok. I think it is still very much a consumer-focused channel. But as the, I don't even know what to call that generation, the generation younger than millennials becomes the new workforce, and in our case, the marketing operators, then that becomes a a valuable channel. So five years or so, I think we're really going to see some B2B investment in that channel.
2: Yeah, And I'm sure some of it maybe will tie to who ends up acquiring TikTok or how that whole situation ends up. So definitely something to watch there. Ben, this has been a fascinating conversation. I feel like there are so many layers to the strategy conversation, and then we kind of get into actually executing upon that strategy and messaging and going into all these different channels. We could probably talk for hours, but we're going to let you go right now. Before we let you go, though, where can folks go to learn more about you other than your podcast, of course, and get more insights from you?
0: Yeah, there are a couple different places you can look for our content or for information about me and my consulting practice. I'll start off with the podcast that you mentioned. The MarTech podcast is a daily show, 15 to 25 minutes per day on a marketing topic. We cover B2B and B2C, MarTechPod.com or just search MarTech in any of the podcast app stores. I do a uh, content marketing SEO podcast called The Voices of Search as well, voicesofsearch.com. And for my experience and my consulting practice, benjshap.com, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P.com. All my social handles are benjshap as well. Beautiful, Ben.
2: Well, thank you again so much for uh, taking the time out to speak with us today. It was a great conversation.
0: I enjoyed being your guest. Thanks for having me.
2: And of course, as always, everyone out there listening right now, thank you so much for joining us, too. If you have any feedback on this episode, feel free to uh, drop us a review through your preferred podcast player. Drop us a line on social media at B2BMX. And of course, subscribe. You'll be updated when new episodes are available and we'll be coming at you every week. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll talk to you next time. Take care.